Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Hey there, Jets fans. It's a new voice this week. Uh, my name's Kishore. I'm a big Jets fan that somehow ended up in San Francisco. Uh, and I'm taking the the helm for a week uh, to talk about Jets trade line edition. Uh, and for that, we could only have on one guest. Uh, are you familiar with the Jet Centric podcast, sir? Uh, yeah, a longtime listener, first time caller. Ah, uh, cool. Uh, AJ, welcome to the show that you started. So, uh, this is my first time on. Uh, we tried to record an episode uh, a few weeks back, but we both botched the audio in classic jet centric fashion. So, uh, it's it's time we actually do a real episode, and we're tackling the trade deadline. But before we get to the trade deadline, we got to start with what. Uh, is important to me because I'm a 42 year old ex goalie. Um, I want to know from a from a Canadian point of view how the David Ayres stuff is going over up north. Because <laughs> well, I'm literally a 42 year old ex goalie. That Saturday night was like a dream come true for me. Well, I think in Winnipeg, a lot of people loved it just because it happened to Toronto, and there's a lot of people in in Canada wide that uh, do not like the Maple Leafs. So uh, I think uh, that's true people, in the states too. So oh, it's that's not states. a uniquely um, outside of Toronto thing. I think we're I all may- rejoicing in what's happening there. I thought maybe New York was your Toronto, or something like that. Like maybe that was like the place yeah. that everybody hated. But yeah, we have the a lot of those. Yeah. Boston. I feel that way about Boston right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I could see that. But no, I, I, so the fact that I happened to Toronto, I think, is uh, pretty hilarious for a lot of people. But, I mean, we did have the time it happened to us with, was it Scott Foster or whatever his name? No, not. Yeah, was, Scott the, Foster. It was the Scott Foster. Yeah, yeah, from Chicago. I, I know the circumstances were a little bit different. I mean, personally, I, I think those stories are always kind of fun and neat and everything. But uh, in a one game sort of happening it's sort of it's meaningless generally except the story is really fun and it should go on for the 15 minutes of fame so everyone gets to really really enjoy it but for me personally i don't i don't get that much out of it but for for him and his family i mean that's that's a pretty cool story so i loved it for a couple reasons i mean the 42 year old goalie and me loved it because it gave me that sense of hope and my wife looked at me and she's like you don't have a chance you know that right i'm like but the 42 year old zamboni driver and she's like no you don't have a chance but outside of that um i mean it was a moment of pure joy and i have a lot of friends down here in the states that aren't hockey fans and even they picked up on the story so it was one of those that like cross boundaries i mean the real story is that how carolina stifled the hell out of the Leafs. They only gave up six shots in the third period and they dominated them. And so he didn't actually really have to face that many uh, difficult chances, which is the perfect transition uh, for us talking about our Jets because that's exactly what happened to them in Buffalo the other night. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Before we get there, actually, uh, the the one thing that I was thinking as you're, as you're talking about it, could you think of another sport? It'd have to obviously be a team sport where you could have a similar story where you could have kind of not a nobody because obviously the guy has played the sport before, but somebody come in and do it. Probably not at any other position on the ice. Um I've never seen something that archaic, and especially where he has to literally sign a contract while they're giving him his jersey. It, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like that. I think like even in like basketball, if you have too many people injured, it's not like a guy from the stands can come down and play with you. You just play with the le- the the remnant people you have. And I've seen that happen 
like years and years ago, where it ended up being five on four because people either fouled out or got hurt. But nothing like this, where some random guy is playing in net for you. Um, and the rule is so weird and archaic. Uh, and that's what I love. It's like old school hockey in the in the best way possible. It like it reminds me of like 1970s style stuff where like people would be shotgunning beers in between periods. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think like that that's great. And and I think we agree that it's probably the only place that it does happen and could happen. But it is still a little bit surprising that that's what they resort to. Like that is what happens, right? Like, I, I, I don't know if there's not a player on every team that, you know, maybe plays defense that play. I mean, put line A in that, but he used to play goal. <laughs> I don't know if the Jets would, would ever do that, but I mean, it's it's so funny that that happens. Like, it should be required that every team has an equipment manager that used to play NCAA hockey, you know, on a, on a legit Div One team or something like that. Like, that should be a required thing that you always have a, a somebody driving with you, so or riding with the team, so this doesn't happen. But I saw on Twitter somebody suggests like, why don't you have um, if they could make it work, uh, one of like the national team women's. Uh, goalies just around because you know if like Shaman, shannon sabados went in there she would like she would have stoned the leafs like nobody's business too yeah. um so i i totally think they'll, they'll probably because it's the nhl and they can't not tinker with rules that are fun they're going to tinker with this in the off season unnecessarily so but i mean it's it happens so rarely like i outside of scott foster i can't remember the last time uh this happened in the last you know decade so it's such a rare thing. Just leave in the fun thing. Well, even although David Ayers or Ayers, however you say his name, uh, he had that happen with the uh, Charlotte checkers as well. Didn't he? So I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it happens in the AHL probably more than the NHL, but it, it, it uh, yeah, obviously isn't that common. So even better for it to keep happening in the AHL. I think it adds just like nuance. And as long as it's only happening in the regular season and it doesn't happen that often, I say more power to you. Uh, also how Carolina handled it, the marketing around it. So good. Um, like selling his t-shirts and donating money to a, to a kidney charity, uh, after his kidney donation. Like I know we made, uh, they get made fun of a lot about the storm surge and stuff, but that, that team just makes every right move, uh, when it comes to how they sort of position the game and they just seem to be having fun with it all, uh, which, um, which isn't. I'm going to try to transition back to the Jets now, uh, which isn't necessarily the case with the Jets. (laughs) I won't let you know. Now we got to talk about Don Cherry and the bunch of jerks. I mean, let's just stay on the Carolina. (laughs) No, no, no. We we can transfer over to the Jets. Sorry. What was your your? uh... No, I was going to say like they uh, Carolina for as much as they're battling for a playoff position, uh, much like the Jets are. They seem to be having fun with it, at least. Uh, The Jets don't seem to be having any fun at all. And uh, and we should take get your take on the last couple games uh, in Philly and Buffalo, uh, because the team seems to have entered some kind of funk over the past uh, past week, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not really that unforeseen. Um, first of all, I know we talked about this a bunch on the podcast before of just hockey being a luck based game and not really putting too much into results of just sort of a game at a time or even like two or three game stretches like uh, this 
three game home stretch of this two game uh you know road trip or whatnot so i didn't get too much out of it but one thing that i will just kind of note which didn't really seem to play into it but um i posted not too long ago about uh the jets over the last two years how many times they've played goalies the same goalie in back-to-backs and what their record is and um this the last two games they actually played Hellebuck um, in back to backs, which was uh, he didn't have great save percentage the first game. Uh, I think it was it was in the eight hundreds, and then he was at uh, nine twenty, I believe, uh, yesterday. What they were recording against the Flyers, I believe he was nine twenty, which isn't obviously bad. It was a low scoring game, but the last time that they had done that, where they played the same goalie in back to back, was the Finland trip, where they had Hellebuck play uh, both games there, and it seemed like that was. You know, that was a win-loss situation. This was a loss-loss situation. Ended up being, obviously, in hindsight. But um, that was the first thing, actually, that stood out to me. Not to say that Hellebuck played bad in the second game. But right away, I was like, what? What's... Why Why are we doing that? I, right then, I, think I was really surprised. With, with why are we doing that kind of question, so... I was surprised by that, too. I, I think Maurice is trying to kill Hellebuck. <laughs> he, I think Hellebuck's on pace to have the... Uh, highest percentage of play games played for any goaltender this season. I think he and Carey Price were kind of neck and neck there. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I kind of just don't get it. And I, I'll say this: like I thought Hellebuck, even though he his save percentage wasn't great against the Flyers, I thought he played pretty well in that game. He had a, a those couple early goals. Like I think only one wasn't a great goal. I thought he played well. I'll take issue with one thing you said, like normally I'm with you. I'm not one to like harp on, you know, a two game losing streak here with all the puck luck, especially when it's like a one goal game and and whatnot. But the end of that Buffalo game really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because they didn't get a shot in the last like nine and a half minutes of that game. Um, And it's not so much that they didn't get a shot. It just didn't seem like the top players are showing up for us. Uh, and I, I was started getting a little chapped about that because this whole season, it felt like the team for as kind of up and down as they've been, they're constantly playing hard. And this is a time when like, you know, you're, you expect like guys like Shifley and Wheeler to, uh, and line a to drive play a little bit and at least get some chances going. And it, it didn't seem like they could even get that going against a Buffalo team that, you know, it, it isn't exactly like a shutdown uh, team. So to not have any shots over the not last nine minutes, it actually reminded me a lot of what Toronto looked like uh, Saturday night in that third period. Yeah. No, I, I can't disagree with you there. You're, you're, you're totally right. I was just, yeah, my comment about the, the small samples, right? You kind of just wonder, okay, is this a one-off? Because, you know, teams, they'll dominate a team 7 nothing one night and then come back and get, you know, roasted 4 nothing the next night or something. Like, it, that's just the, the flow of it. The, the best teams don't always stand out as much as they should. Um, but in closer to the gray area in the middle, the Jets should be better than what they are, and they're not really showing them to move you know, be the best, as best as they could be. They don't feel still, uh, never mind optimized line usage or anything, but even playing to, to what their potential is. So it's a little disappointing uh, kind of watching it, but this is kind of the Jets that we've come to to know in, in some ways. They have these little bursts of some good stuff, or at least some good results, not even that great of play. There's been less and less of that, but some decent results and sometimes a little bit extended. I think they had a four-game winning streak before this, but uh, then we kind of get to this again, and it's like, well, this okay i guess we're doing this again right so and then you go into the next game like they're going to go play washington and back-to-backs and you go i don't really know what's going to happen like 
Uh, well, we're pretty sure that Ovechkin's going to score about 50 goals in these back-to-back games. Well, he's um, going to get 100 because he's got to get to 800 against the Jets. Oh, he's got to get to 800 against the Jets. Yeah, so he just got fair. 700, so he's going to get the milestone, 800. Oh, I was I was easing him in. I was just giving him another 50 goals. But Oh, well, he, they're in back-to-back, so he might get 50 and 50. So in the <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. I, I, I think you nailed it on the head. Like, this team is a tease. It They'll show us signs of being who they were a couple years ago. There was that game against the Blackhawks and it was against the Blackhawks where Andrew Kopp all of a sudden looked like a world beater. Uh, and he had one of those nights where he was dominating play and you're like, Oh, look at the uh, production that a, a Roslovic Harkins Appleton line is giving us all of a sudden. And I know how ridiculous that statement sounds that I was like, wow, look at the Roslovic Harkins uh, Appleton line, like really carrying play for us. But they give us these like flashes and then it just goes away. And I think that lack of consistency is driving me crazy this season uh, because all I want is like consi- like just a little bit more consistency out of them. I love the effort. I'm not one that's like, like saying playoffs are bust uh, for this team because uh, my expectations weren't there. But just like... A, a little bit of like urgency down the stretch uh, would go a long way to me. And because I think like the fans are pretty restless right now, um, or at least a lot of the fans I interact with on Twitter are pretty restless, which might just be how it is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that that's, uh, sounds, sounds about right. One thing that you said though, that that was a Harkins Appleton and uh, why am I? Uh, Ross. Uh, there's something about that line though, that I think, just talking about like the fans and fan interaction and stuff. That's a line that actually gave people, I think a lot of hope for a couple of reasons. First of all, they, you know, played well uh, at that moment. And I think they've done, done all right together. Harkin's been a nice, nice surprise. I was one of the ones I'll admit that I didn't have much hope for him when the jets uh, drafted him in the first, whatever it was year or two after that. But uh, that was a line that was, it's all drafted players by the jets, right? Like for a draft and develop team and to see a line like that kind of come up and play well together. That just is, I don't know that 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 was kind of encouraging. I know that you're kind of saying like you know that's not the guys that you're looking at to get the most out of necessarily, but there was something about that that I think struck a little chord with a lot of people. Did you find that for yourself or no? Uh, I did too. And uh, to me, Jansen Harkins has been one of the best stories since the All Star break for the Jets. Uh, you can see him out there working. He, it doesn't always result in um you know and chances on net or goals or anything else like that but like he's he's getting better you see his like progression as an nhl player uh and it continues on that like from where he was in the ahl and like you said draft and develop we're seeing the development of him uh and it was actually good to see maurice reward him with time on the top line against buffalo and i thought he actually he was the only one that, that seemed to be delivering that game um so I like I'm all about that Harkins line. Roslovic has like I feel like I've been teased by him for like three or four years now or however long he's been up with the team where it's up and down, up and down. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's also the kind of third line you need to win in this league. Um, a third and fourth line where it's not a bunch of necessary like veteran guys. It's just like people on, you know, relatively cheap contracts that chip in a goal here or there eat up minutes so you can really roll your your top lines wh- when you need them they they buy them time i i loved what i i saw out of that so naturally chevy goes out and gets cody eakin to replace 
uh, Rosvik at center at that line, yeah. which made no sense to me. Yeah. Do you want to get into that? Talking yeah, about- we got to get into the trade. So trade lit deadline for the Jets. Uh, it was was kind of ho-hum. Uh, and there's there's only three moves, and I don't think uh, we've had a, a an episode since the Demello Eakin, and then the Buffalo news today. So yeah. why don't we start with? We'll actually start with the good news about uh, Demello. What did you think of that trade? Oh, I thought it was great, and I think uh, for all those people that say uh, people from the podcast or a lot of people have nothing good to say, I mean, all I saw was praise all around for that one. That that was a great pick for for a third third rounder. Um, I'd interviewed. Uh, Sean Tierney at Charting Hockey, uh, I think near the end of summer. And he posted some stuff today too about like the value of lower picks. And I'm all for draft and develop and getting lots of uh, picks and, you know, letting your, your, um, I want to say developmental, no, your, your scouts, your amateur scouts. <laughs> I was going to say junior scouts. Anyhow, uh, amateur scouts kind of do their work and, and do it well and get stuff. But at the same time, you know, when you look at the value of a third round pick, or a fourth round, or, you know, once you kind of dip from there. I mean, to get an actual NHL player at that point, it's no longer a lottery ticket. It, it is a player, and if the Jets manage to sign him, now now because we'll get into the other one, like the, the Eek and everything, but you said whole hum, I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, that, the second move didn't give me nearly as much hope as the first one, and they didn't really address some of the other issues, like needing maybe another defenseman. So now the DeMello one for me, whether it was, it was a good pick or it was a good trade, but it kind of feels like now it rides on him resigning. If it looked like they were going to make a push, um, then it would have been okay. Even if he doesn't sign, you, you, you get what I mean? Like it's uh, so totally, yeah, it, it was just as a rental and you had two rentals and you're really making a push. Then you're like, okay, that's fine. We, you know, sold a farm on a, on a couple of rentals to really do something. Now it doesn't look like they really did something. If they don't get him to resign, I'm not sure it was that great, you know? I'm kind of coming around to where you are. Like, everyone universally was like, this is the best uh, defenseman deal at the deadline, like, even through today. Uh, and it's because it was it's such a load pick for such a reliable person. And he's played great for us so far. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I, I think the what matters is if he resigns. Because then you have stability over the long term on that second pair uh, potentially. And let's not like talk about Dylan DeMello as like a world beater. He's like a second pair guy. Um, and he's consistent and he's trustworthy and he's making good reads early on. But our sample size with him so far with the Jets is just like three games and he's played fine, um, fine to good. Uh, so I'm excited about it. But you're right. Now the work is ahead of of Chevy convincing him to resign. Uh, I worry a little bit that the all the people being like, what a steal is going to up his his price. Uh, to resign, but I think that's uh, that's the work ahead. If he resigns, it's a home run. Uh, if he if he goes away, then we played third for a rental. I'm not sure. I will say the one thing that is underrated that I think more Jets fans have to come around to, like we're a small market team. Like making the playoffs is a huge money difference for this team. Uh, like what the analysis is usually like they clear like a million dollars per home game. Uh, so. You know, you get into the the first round, even if you you have like a six game series, that's, you know, another three million dollars for the team. So I understand them making a push, even if it's for a third round pick, because three million dollars essentially pays for DeMello's contract if they can make it. 
So uh, I'm all for them making some sort of push as a small market team that needs to needs the revenue to make it. But in terms of the long term, got to re-sign them uh, in order to maximize the value. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Egan. <laughs> I was going to say, so you said uh, as long as they're making a push. Now that takes us to the next one. Are they making a push? Because it feels like a bit of an unnecessary move with the second one, right? Like it didn't yeah. really, I know they're, there's injuries. I know Brian Little's a, a, a shut down for the year, right? Lowry's injured, uh, Pro's injured, right? So there, there's some some guys out of the lineup. So I guess I get it for the depth. But sometimes when people say depth, uh, like not every warm body is depth, right? And sometimes depth like can also have a negative connotation to it if you just think of yourself digging in a hole and just getting deeper and deeper. So I'm not saying that Eakins is bad, but uh, just kind of moving in that direction. I'm also not convinced that just because he exists and is on the team and had previous success for what one out of his five years or whatever it was, um, that that's that great. But maybe I'll throw it over to you. So what what did you think of the the Eakins trade? I just I I, I kind of want to tie it to the first one there. But yeah, yeah what what was your take on that one? I mean, he has a top line mustache. Let's agree. Like his mustache game, real strong. I, I love it. I actually like he's fine as a player. He's way too expensive at three point eight five million. Um, that's just that's way too much money for the kind of production he's bringing. Uh, and I know he scored twenty two goals last year. It's a little bit of an outlier. Um, that's fine. But his like how he's looked this year. Uh, hasn't been that great. The real thing is Vegas was in a cap bind. And and we saw that today with them making these like crazy cap moves to get Laner in uh, as goalie. Uh, and so they're in a bind and we still gave them like a conditional fourth, which, you know, may or may not end up as a, as a third for Eakin. It sort of like seems like we should have extracted a pick from them to take on Eakin and his full salary. Um, and, and so that like my complaint is less about the player and more about like the deal. The deal just struck me as weird. Like if it was like a, a fifth round pick and like it kind of makes more sense to me. Uh, I also just like if Egan's going to slot in there on like the fourth line um, as a center, maybe he's like working on a line with like Shore and some other stuff and and add some more reliability down there. I get it. I don't really see him like with that third line going with with Harkins, Roslevic and Appleton putting him down there. It's just like break up a ton of chemistry. Uh, And then when Lowry comes back, I don't see how this all works anymore. Like all of a sudden you have like an extra center uh, uh, if you if you're going to keep Roslevic at center as a as an experiment. So all of that just makes it like scratch my head a little bit. Uh, And that has almost nothing to do on how. Cody Eakin is as a player and everything else around just like how, how he fits within everything else. Um, all that, you know, all that being said, like, I'm not going to quibble that much around like a fourth round pick versus a third round pick. Uh, I just, uh, I, I, I wish there was a better fit here with Cody Egan. So it was fine. It's kind of a forgettable deal, but you know, that's what the trade deadline is. It's mostly a bunch of forgettable deals. Yeah. And sorry, I'll correct myself. He was drafted in 2011 or 12. I said five-year career. I wasn't really paying attention. But uh, yeah, I think his first season was 2011-12. But yeah, I guess there isn't the same writing on him, kind of like you said. If uh, if he doesn't resign, it doesn't feel as big of a deal, even though the cost was the same. 
I suppose, like if it does turn into a, a third. So maybe it, maybe it should feel even more significant that he kind of turn out to be something. But at the same time, nobody's really as excited about him as they were about DeMello's. So uh, we're kind of not really, it, it's negligible, especially if everybody comes back healthy. Like I, um, not just this year, but next year, if Brian Little does play next year and Lowry's healthy and we got the last year of Perot, if they can't move him in the summer, then it gets even more convoluted if Cody can still around, right? That's talking the forward uh, with the I, forward depth and all the centers. So I can't imagine them re-signing Cody Egan. Right. I, I just uh, like I just don't see where it fits. Uh, but you brought up Little. Do you think he's done? Like, have we seen a the Little for the last time in a Jets jersey? Yes. Yep. That's uh, that's that's um, yes. That's that's my prediction. I will say he's done. But I will say yeah, it's not done. I think Buff is a Jet next year, so I'm still uh, holding on to that. Not completely crazy. Oh, so so you are delusional in in, in one way. Yes. So uh, <laughs> how about you? I, how delusional are you? I, I I think Little comes back only, but they're going to expose him in the Seattle expansion and make a deal with Seattle to have him go over there. Um, I hope he's not done just because I like Brian Little as a player and I don't want to see him go down this way to like concussion-like symptoms. Uh, way too many players. That's that's the end of their career. So I, I hope he comes back because I like Brian Little as a person. Uh, as a long-term player for the Jets, like I, I do agree we need to move on. And and I I, I do think Seattle's the the place they're they're gonna try to push it. Uh you brought up Bufflin. Let's talk about Buff. Hold on. Before we get there. Yeah. Picture this. Off season. Little still injured. He signs off on his his health check. He comes to training camp. He says he wants to retire. (laughs) Could you imagine the exact same situation playing out two years in a row if he did exactly what Buff did? No. I mean, there's obviously some behind the scenes stuff there that we all don't know about. But uh, imagine if it just played out exactly, exactly the same way. But I do actually, I say that jokingly, but I think with my prediction about him retiring, I think as long as until he's better, right, they can have him on the long-term injury reserve, whatever. Um, I think he'll um, probably stay under the care uh, while he's getting it paid for of the team. And then once he no longer needs that care, I feel like he probably moves on. So that's why I think this summer, because I don't think, you know, that would be amazing though. I'm kind of rooting for that to happen now. Well, that the Uh, the, just for the comedy of it, of, of Chevy being like, yeah, little came and he wanted to retire, but we sat down and talked and like the fans would lose their mind. Just start telling everybody that's what's happening. Actually. Yeah. Just, uh, this is official, uh, jet centric podcast, uh, breaking news. Uh, little has, uh, he wants to retire, but Chevy talked him out of it, but he's still dealing with an injury. And, oh, we uh, we'll don't even have to go that far. To- <laughs> you just have to say like Brian little is meeting with, with Chevy, um, to talk about his future and everyone will, will piece it in. Yeah. And of course you get another player, uh, that's like almost as quiet from the media as as Bufflin was right so you're not going to really get anything out of him directly either so any uh sound bites so but you want to talk about buff let's, well, uh, let's... well before i get to bufflin actually i'm gonna ask like so the jets didn't make any other moves besides o2 the uh, chevy came out today and said like you know they were trying to work on some hockey moves but nothing came together uh so no hockey trades uh including bufflin we'll come back to buff uh what do you think about chevy not doing anything today um 
Well, I predicted it. The tweet, is, <laughs> but they're not going to do anything. So I guess it's kind of par for the course. I didn't think they were going to do do anything. This, uh, I think, the prices probably just get high. And right now, like they're going into this next draft with only four picks. Uh, usually, you would have seven. And uh, for a draft and develop team that's kind of given away a couple picks, I can't see them selling any more future picks. And I think next year they have five. That's including the one that you mentioned, the Cody Eakin that could turn from a fourth to a third. Uh, so I think they have five. So I don't think they wanted to move any more picks. And I don't think you could trade picks more than, what, two years in advance? Maybe it might be three, but two years, I believe. Um, so they can't really move any more picks. I mean, they could, but they're not going to. So now you're talking roster players or prospects. Well, I don't think they've given up on Veselainen. I don't think you're moving Stanley unless he's in some sort of bigger package deal. I don't think they've given up on Roslick as much as there's been some conversation like that. I think they'd like to keep him around for this potential push and wait till the summer to move any of those guys that I just mentioned. So, and and the most obvious roster player would have probably been uh, moving Matthew Perot, but he's injured. So I don't know if you can really trade a guy while he's injured, right? So um, besides Dmitry Kulikov, and with the way the Jets look, maybe they feel better about him than, you know, playing Spies or Boteto or whoever. So um, I, I just didn't see it. I'm like, uh, who who moves? No, yeah, I mean, it, it played out exactly how I thought. And I was thrilled. I thought that was the right call. Like, trade deadline day is filled with GMs doing the dumbest stuff you'll see all year um and and like we can highlight some of the the dumb moves like the overpay for uh pageau by the islanders or the islanders even talking about bringing parisi over uh who's 35 and has another five years left on his contract with minnesota like there are nuts moves happening out there and so i i thought chevy played it perfectly by not doing anything i would have loved to see him get a pick back even if it was like a fourth or fifth but you're right like who who could he have moved and i think kulikov is the only one he could have moved and part of me was really rooting for kulikov to be moved so i don't have to shake my fist at the screen uh when kulikov's out there but uh i i don't think given their their current defensive um uh you know set up they could they could move kulikov and say they're making a push for the playoffs anymore yeah i'll say this one thing about kulikov just because i do know a little something uh, about his time here in winnipeg i don't think he's played a minute for the jets that he hasn't been significantly injured in some way or another so uh i'll just say that (laughs) so yeah we we never got to see the best of him and not to say that the best of him was that great but i'm just saying uh just to be fair to the guy yeah it's it's been a real real uh slugfest being here when i'm sure that's true but that's one of the things it's like part of what you're paying for is players that that stay healthy on in some way shape or form and some of that's luck but he's been around with us for a couple years now and and the fact that he hasn't been really healthy in those two years is probably a sign of of how it's going to be you know with him going forward and and i don't like everyone i don't expect him to be on the team next year um all right right, let's talk about buff didn't get traded hold on hold on yeah the other because we did talk about defensemen um before we go there some of the other defensemen that did get moved were there any of those deals that you thought the jets could have or should have afforded like the one now i know some people are going to crucify me for this but just i'm trying to think of one that maybe had lower value but maybe veteran presence all this kind of you know stuff jets might look to but i'm thinking specifically about the oilers going for mike green they traded uh, Kyle Brodziak and a conditional draft pick in either 2020 or 21. So we're not exactly sure what that is, but with something like that, like I'm not sure exactly what Kyle Brodziak's uh, 
value is compared to any Jets player. But was there anything there? Like, was there any of those deals? Because you say they're overpays. Was every single one an overpay, or were there some? No, no. The Jets I actually thought that-, that like a whatever Scandella. I'm just throwing out the names of some of the guys. I don't even know what they all went for, but uh, of the ones that I you mean- know about. I, I would say, like, the only reason to trade for Scandella is, is to drive the Sabres even crazier with how they're, they're, like, constantly having that player flip for better and better picks. Uh, so for the comedy, I would have traded for Scandella, but not for the player. I thought the best deal, even though he's hurt, um, was a fourth for Vatnin. Because uh, I think Vatnin still, like, he's re- he's effective on the power play. He moves the puck. Um but that's a big if like because he's on injured reserve right now and i know he's supposed to come back in a couple weeks but yeah. you know uh yeah i don't know i'm like carolina remade their entire defense today but they paid a hefty price for it yes. uh i'm not the biggest brady shea fan uh, but props to um shana goldman for breaking that so that we had the the perfect like somebody whose twitter handle is hey shea breaking a, a brady shea trade i thought that was that was perfect peak Twitter. Um, but, and so, I mean, there's like trades like that where you're like, wow, they really reform stuff. But I look at Carolina's team and even though they're on the bubble right now, I look at that team and I was like, oh, this is a team that actually could make a deep run for the cup. Right. Yeah. I guess just in all of it, I mean, leading up to this was all the talk of getting buffs money off you know, uh, the salary cap, which I don't, I guess they haven't officially even done yet then, but, uh, I suppose that was a conversation going into this, that the Jets will have all this money freed up. Well, now the trade deadline's gone. The salary cap is, or wasn't freed up yet. I, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter now though. Right. So all that sort of pre-talk about the money they could spend, it's, it's all moved now. Right. So I just wondered if there might've been more, maybe if they got the, the buff stuff sorted out again i'm, I'm assuming that that has to be part of it I, but um yeah it just felt like i kind of figure so that chevy had a piece of paper that he could have just signed that would have terminated the contract if there was really that big of a deal out there right. um but like who is that who who was out there that they needed that much cap room for like i think we would have had a really divisive podcast if if pk had all of a sudden ended up on the jets oh yeah that's right that, that i forgot about that one there we go that's a, that's interesting yeah that would have been that would have been something that would have been something and the and the only defenseman i could imagine moving that has that kind of cap hit that we need to terminate the the buff contract for i mean the buff stuff is is what it is like it sounded like chevy tried to extract any pick he could but it's not there I mean, I think the news today was really just that uh, Buff told him a couple weeks ago that he he's not playing this year. Um, but you somehow still think he's coming back? Yeah, yeah, I still think he's back. Um, why? Nah, why not? Like, I mean, literally, and, and that may sound crazy, but like in all of this, uh, I said a you know a couple episodes about talking about Bufflin specifically. It's like everything that everybody loved about him of being so casual, being so kind of just relaxed about everything, smiling at the camera while he's killing a penalty, singing in the penalty box, right? Like just, just his playful way and the fact that he'd walk away from $8 million basically this year. I know a lot of people are shitting on the guy, but I mean, he's, he's lost $8 million basically. And he may be up to another 6 million. Although if he signs somewhere, even not with the jets, he'll make some of that back, but, or some amount of that. But, um, yeah, so is it not really kind of it, it just seems totally within his character to be like, yeah, okay, I will play the last year. Like it does 
does that not speak to exactly who Buff is? I mean, sometimes when media talk to players about like uh, just just anything, oh, you scored your first goal. How meaningful was it to score your first goal at home in front of all your friends and families? Like, well, it was really great and stuff. But I just think if someone asked me that, I'd be like, yeah, that's really cool. But at the uh, like, it's not the all-consuming thing, right? Like every question is is geared and every narrative is talked about like it's the only thing that's ever existed. Right. And I mean, when you go to your job or something happens or big moments, it's not the only thing. There's there's context to all that. And I think with Buff, the context, um, well, I spoke about it on, on, you know, two episodes ago. So people can go listen to that if they didn't already and just kind of hear my take on it. But it totally seems like something Buff would do is just come back and play and uh, maybe you know, time heals all wounds and whatever happened, the the rift between the club and him or, or whatever that looks like um, can, can heal up because they could just kind of put this year behind them and whatnot. And he'll play out his final year and then retire. So does that not sound like something Buff would do? Yeah. I, I mean, I get it from the, the standpoint of like smarter people than me have wasted a lot of ink trying to predict what Buff would, would do on uh you know, at any point in his career, let alone right now when he's facing this decision. Uh, so it's really not that it's that you convinced me that he wouldn't come back with the story about the rift with like Wheeler and the room. And like, as long as next year is going to have Wheeler, Shifley and Maurice essentially running the room still, like, I don't see why buff would come back to that. Um, after all that, that happened, like it would take like some sort of magic trick from Chevy or some, you know, some really big changes. And while I believe people, uh, can can change i think it's really hard and I, and I sort of doubt that the room has changed that much from when uh from what supposedly really rankled bufflin's uh you know bufflin's experience with winnipeg yeah but uh, but i mean i've you know again uh, just personally how you know we deal with our lives and everything something bad happens and someone convinces you to kind of go back to it i had that with a job that i left and then came back to and then you know, it wasn't as good the second time around and we usually parted ways, but I was convinced to go back to it and it not, and it was an awful situation. It was actually a decent situation I was coming back to, but it, it had changed. And so I left and then was like, well, I'm definitely never going back now. Right. So, uh, I mean, uh, being off for a whole year, that lot can change. People convince you of some stuff and, you know, you go, ah, it's just a year. Right. So in, in that way, I just try and put myself in, in his shoes and say, yeah, maybe he would. Apparently he loves living here, you know, and, um, likes fish and as long as there's so, fish in the lakes i think yeah. he loves living in winnipeg like, yeah that's, I mean, that's my read on it so again it's it, it just seems like such a buff thing to do because you know what if everyone predicts that he's not going to come back then he probably will right like it, <laughs> yeah so we should start predicting he's definitely not coming back well because he'll yeah you you, you can I'm, I'm still stuck on the fact that he is because i think i'm uh, carrying this flag by myself i i don't think that he i think he plays for the jets next year i don't think he plays for for anyone else so all that being said about the deadline, about, you know, kind of not being excited about Eakin, maybe being excited about DeMello, nothing else happening, you know, buff, n- nothing really changing with that situation. Uh, how do you think Chevy's done this year? Because last episode was a bunch of angry Jets fans talking about Maurice. Uh, but uh, we shouldn't give Chevy a pass here either. What What do you think on on how he's done? Well, I mean... There, there's basically two jobs. There's the person that, you know, gets the players and the person that makes the players do the things they need to do. I know a lot of people like to crap on players for what they do for with their 15, 20 minutes of 
man minutes out of 300 every, you know, 82 times a year, right? But uh, there's people that are responsible for the systems and their usage and their line mates and if they're in the press box or not. So I think Maurice, you know, especially from the guys on the podcast, like you mentioned last time, um, they definitely gave gave him the heat. But at the same time, I I kind of get it. I get the whole thing. And we'll, we'll get into that. I know talking about his contract apparently basically being decided last summer, right? Um, but Shovel Day Off, I mean, he's supposed to go get the players. And you find some creative ways to do it. And and maybe moving, if, if this was still a window open kind of year and the buff thing um, kind of rests on him. In, in some ways, because he's the one that talked him off the fence and he's the one sort of in charge of, of making stuff or we're led to believe that he's the one in charge of making the decisions. Um, he's got to go get those players. I mean, maybe you can trade, you know, a bunch of picks up at the beginning of the season uh, to try and get some players or as soon as the first, you know, ball drops with buff. So uh, for me, I'm, I'm not convinced of Chevy. And now that Maurice has the three-year extension, that puts, I mean, obviously they could fire him tomorrow if they wanted, but uh, that's, that seems unlikely. But now that shows a vote of confidence in the guy who's handling the players on the ice so now it shifts over to the guy that's in charge of getting the players so i mean we talked about the trades i think they're you know overall good whatever i'll say a b b plus right i think the Demello one is good still riding on the extension thing but um yeah uh, this year the the players that they got off waiver wire and the excuses of the the contract or not having cap space. I mean, everyone lives within the confines of the cap space. So maybe look at some of your contracts and say, hmm, okay, well, so you don't like uh, how much cap space you don't have. Well, I didn't sign Blake Wheeler, you know, for 8.25 mil or Brian Little's contract, right? I didn't, and I wouldn't have given Hellebuck that much money. And so the, it's fine to stand back and be, you know, a, whatever they call us, a armchair GM and say all the things that we wouldn't do. But at the same time, if I wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have been in the same situation. And, and and if you have done those things, then maybe you got to start looking at trades a bit sooner. So I'm not convinced that he's done that great a job. Uh, the waiver wire pickups were all kind of meaningless. There's, there's so many good young players that are available for like dirt cheap and people don't go after them. I mean, we've talked about Honka at the beginning of the season, how Dallas was trying to move him. There's a guy that wanted whatever. He's probably due for $900,000 or a million dollars. I mean, there's a guy he's a legitimate legitimate player like give up a third a second and a third for him whatever third and a fourth and, and just send that to dallas and give the guy 1.5 to come here like just make the money talk and i think that extra half a mil is is negligible if you have that guy you know playing for you a, a legitimate defender that's probably better than anybody we picked off waiver wire so you want to get creative get creative uh, zach redmond uh i talked to garrett Hole before about this uh, he said he's always been good in the NHL, always been good at the AHL. And meanwhile, he's, you know, not lighting it up, but he's a great steady player in the AHL. Why, why don't you go look at other people's farm clubs, guys that don't have NHL contracts that aren't moving up and down. There's got to be some people there, not just all these guys that other teams don't want. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not big on Chevy and, and I haven't been a, a Chevy trasher for, for quite a while, but this year was, wasn't good for him. So um, what so about you? Let's turn it I really, I have liked Chevy. Uh, a lot over the years. I like how our team has had consistent GM uh, for a long period of time because there's very few teams that do that. And I think that that helps shape an identity and like the patience he's shown with the draft and develop model. Uh, but I thought he's been 
atrocious this year. <laughs> and uh, I think the the two things are like put the Bufflin stuff aside because we will never know what really happened. But it sounded like he he uh, stepped in it a little bit um, with that contract. The real thing is all the prospects as experts, as much as it's a roll of dice, say 2020 is the one of the deepest draft class we've ever seen. And he knew he was entering with this team, which was going to be a bubble team. And we've gone, you know, above and below the line all season. I wish Chevy just went out and got a couple extra picks in this like really deep draft. Like not even I'm not talking first round picks. I'm talking like get a second or a third or a fourth, like just build it back up because you said it. We have what four picks in this draft out of seven rounds. Um, We're missing out on one of the real draft and develop moments and that's fully on chevy that's not about you know maurice not playing niku uh and playing in favor and Batetto. that's all chevy um and, and so i i think we should be much harder on chevy than we are i think if if this team misses the playoffs and somebody's gonna be held accountable i think chevy's the guy um uh, because maurice has the extension and that was already cooked in which we'll we'll talk about in a second um but I think you, you look at, at Chevy, like we have a, a line A bridge that's looking good for line A, but not necessarily looking good for line A staying in Winnipeg. We have a we have a Wheeler contract that's looking worse and worse. And you can say whatever you want. Chevy's still the GM like that deal happened. Uh, and then we we don't seem to have many picks going forward. I'm all for him going for it um, the last couple of years when when our window is uh, quote unquote open. Uh, but we have uh, like the team, he knew who the team was entering the year. And I feel like my expectation was like, get a couple picks in this, in this better draft to set yourself up for better success. Um, I think he's made great moves. Like the Hanala draft pick is going to, I hope go down as one of the best draft draft choices, uh, in the last decade for the jets. But by and large, like he's left this team, he's left the cupboard empty for this team, you know, three, four years from now. And I think that's really what being a GM is about. It's not just about the now, it's about managing the team for the future. And I think it's in a weird place now. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, honestly. Um, sorry, I'm just going to go back to the buff thing, though, talking about, you know, what we would have wanted right at the time. And people say what I would have done with buff personally is I would have given him whatever it was like uh, he got a five-year deal, given him a three-year deal and paid him, you know, uh, basically no trade uh, movement money. Like, uh, so he doesn't have that and also just pay him more per year. If he wants a five-year at 7.6, give him a three-year at nine mil or something like that a year. And then you're done with him earlier. Right. So you kind of get the, the last bit out of him. And by that point he would be done this year. Anyhow, it wouldn't matter. And same with Wheeler, you would have traded him. I mean, little you would have traded. I know some people don't like to hear that, but again, what you're saying is very important. Like uh, you're looking at the cupboards in a couple of years from now, and I'm just kind of scrolling through on cap friendly. And it's like, there's, there's not really a lot of guys that really, for the amount of people that are going to be leaving either naturally just because of contracts ending and or aging out or their contracts are not very good anymore or expansion draft, whatever it is, there's not really a lot coming up. I mean, you mentioned Hinola, which is good. I know a couple people are high on Gawanke and Kovacevic. I'm not sure if I said the first one's name, first one's name, right. And Sandberg, obviously so there's a couple of guys there, right. But they don't all just like, they're not all just good. And then they come in next year and they're all good. 
right? Then all of a sudden you have six solid defenders. It's like one guy comes in, then he goes back, then this one, you know, isn't quite ready yet. So uh, there's this staggering, right, of development that, that kind of happens as, as people come in. And so you're kind of left with a core of some forwards, and a few of those forwards now have some question marks around them. You mentioned Line, whether he's going to be here or not. He's just basically has next year. We talked about Wheeler, and he's still got another after this year, four more years after that. Brian Little as well has another, if, if he doesn't go on expansion, has another four years after that. Matthew Pro, we still have all of next year, right? So it doesn't actually look that good. And then you talk about, okay, well, we don't have anything to stock the cupboards. Well, that's problematic too, right? Like it's, there's, there's quite a few things here. I, I mean, there's so many good players that we all love and we like and, you know, love the team. And there's certain things that happen with it that are great, right? But looking forward beyond the season or the season after that, like after the next one, you kind of go, what the heck is going to happen here? This doesn't look right. I mean, Jansen Harkins doesn't, can't replace Blake Wheeler, right? Veselin, it doesn't look nearly as capable as we thought he might. I mean, maybe he'll still develop a a bit, but Mason Appleton, okay, great, but that's just Mason Appleton. Jack Rosovic still has a huge question mark around him, right? Cody Eakin is negligible, right? I I hear that and like but the thing is I'd rather make mistakes with somebody that's 24, 25, 26 yeah. than with somebody that's 32, 33. And I think that's the real problem with the, with this group going forward is that Chevy bet big on guys like Wheeler who's 33 now or is he 32? It was 33, yep. Um and it's like you're paying him 8 million. I heard on um uh, Ryan Lambert on on Puck Soup go, you know, if I was making a team and R- Lambert's outrageous, but he goes like, I wouldn't have anyone over the age of 29 on my team. Oh, absolutely. And it's because of the curve. Like, we know, like, players, when they hit 32, 33, they start to decline quickly. Like, Ovechkin and Crosby aside, uh, who are generational talents, like, that's, you know, reasonably true when you start to look across the league. And so, yeah, you don't get the production of Blake Wheeler, but I would rather him take some bets on some of these younger players, even if they don't like equate to a Blake Wheeler, because you're betting on speed, you're betting on like the the game continuing to evolve the way it is. Um, but when you bet on a 32 year old that grew up in a game that was was really different, uh, then you're setting yourself up for something that may not work out. Um, yeah. All right, we got to. Uh, talk about the the one thing I, I hooked into, which is the Maurice extension yeah. that was announced. And I know it was talked about on the podcast last week, but the news that broke was that the Maurice extension was agreed to before the beginning of the year. Yeah, essentially in the summer. Yeah, that uh, seems to be what was reported. They basically had it sort of understood and then Maurice said it took them like 10, 10 minutes to hash out the details. So yeah, it sounds like it was all but all but done in this, the the summer, which is interesting because I kind of, I, I, I'm guessing this is where you kind of want to go with it, is if you're basing it off of this season, there's arguments, like you said, about Cheval Dayoff that are sort of, you know, not in his favor. But there's some, for sure, that seem to not be in Maurice's favor. But it's almost like this year doesn't count to making that extension decision. And so many people are kind of commenting see it online say oh look at where the team's at and they extended this guy right after a loss right after this it's like it was at like a hall of fame luncheon like this is probably planned a while ago like this is where we're going to announce it in front of you know thomas steen and randy carlisle and whoever maybe uh the owner guy with the crazy hair was there uh thompson right like it's probably in front of like all the 
the big wigs and people in the end, uh, Bobby Hall, right? Too. So like people that the team values and appreciates and would like to sort of share the special moment with. And, and Chipman was the one that announced it there. It's like, this wasn't planned last week. It, there's no way, right? There, I don't know. No, it's they cooked weird. it in a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's super clear. And actually I'm kind of okay with the extension. Like I, I'm not a, like the biggest Maurice fan. You know that about me. Uh, the The listeners of the podcast, you know, I, I haven't been a Maurice yeah. defender. Um, I think like what he did uh, uh, during the Buffalo game, not playing Nico in front of Batetto, like what the hell? Like there's so many moves like that that drive me crazy. Well, oh, sorry, um, I'm going to pause you for a second. Did you hear yeah. his reasoning for that? Yeah, it's the dumbest reasoning because like Nico went on a skate that morning. Like no, I, no, he's no. what back, back up a second. He, it sounds like they have a rotating depth chart. I'd, maybe I misheard, but he said in the interview said Niku was the seventh the night before. So then Batetta was the seventh the next night. Like they rotated who was the seventh player on their depth chart. So if somebody got injured, what? this guy would bump up. So Batetta wouldn't just stay the eighth or the ninth or whatever. He actually, they, rotated through was my understanding when yeah, you listen to yeah what i heard that weird. like we're not playing might hockey this is the yeah. nhl like sure. this is like we're not trying to get everyone like a fair shake of ice time like we know who anthony Batetto is at this point for him not to even like give niku a fair shake to see who it who he is because honestly i can't tell you what i think about sammy niku because he hasn't played enough like i see flashes where he could be good and i see a lot of of rough bits around his game I mean, I could go on this for forever. I, I'm totally on the free Niku team, and and you'll probably get me going over to Patan soon if I'm not careful. So, like, we, we have to talk about Patan. So, <laughs> at some point, it's just it's obligatory. Obligatory. We have yeah, to. completely. But like, what? Like, I think Maurice is actually like a reasonable fit for for the city. I I I I was fine having him sign the extension. The thing that like drives me mad. I'm going to go a little conspiracy theory here. You remember when it was floated that um, Seattle was interested in him. That this whole, like this extension was cooked up over the summer and agreed to. Now I'm like, where did that news come from? Where did that leak come from? Did that come from like Maurice, like to put more pressure on the team just to get this thing like signed or like, it makes me wonder what was going on there because that felt that story about Seattle being interested in Maurice felt felt like one of the, like the GMs or like a team president or a coach leaking it. It didn't feel like a a natural news story that some reporter broke. Right. And it makes me wonder if there's some shenanigans going behind the scenes. Like like they had agreed to this deal, but they were like questioning it a little bit, and this was a little strong arm tactic to get it done to get the the signing done because that was a couple months ago. Like, you know, back then they may not have had all of this set up with like the luncheon and stuff and announcing it there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. I, I think there was probably, I, I kind of with you here. I don't think there's ever really anything to do with Seattle. And I know some people are not going to like this if they're Maurice fans, but just because Seattle seems like they're really gearing towards the new NHL. And I'm not going to harp on Maurice and where his weaknesses lie and stuff. I think we talked about that enough. But um, 
the first person that they hired, I believe, was like their analytics director. Like it's uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, yeah. And then they did like the thing with the with the fans open to the scouts. And there's been kind of an overall sense that this is going to be like I don't know forward thinking. I suppose is uh, if that's fair without trying to make it a anti Maurice rant or something. I mean, don't they so, have to be forward thinking? Because after Vegas, they have to make the Stanley Cup Finals the first year. So yeah, that's is, the bar for the Seattle team. Yeah, which is why they're going to hire Gerard Gallant. So just to do the exact same thing, <laughs> which, uh, which would be a bit more forward thinking, I suppose. So, um, yeah. So th- when you think like that, if that if that is their mo that they're trying to put out there. Maurice doesn't really fit the bill for that. And I mean, some people will say that he does because, yeah, they have an analytics team with the Jets. But I I don't know. I get the sense that they hand him, you know, some sheet of paper with analytics, uh, you know, all the best things. And he just says, thanks, kiddo. I'll take it from here and pats him on the head. Like, that's seems who Maurice is. Uh, kind of. I, he's always I, the smartest I see guy it. in every room, right? So. I see that too. And like it, the, the humor stuff is starting to wear thin on me. Like oh, I know yeah. how much the media loves that, that he jokes around with them, um, that, that he doesn't take himself too seriously. I like that too, as a fan that it's entertaining, but it's covering up some like weaknesses that he over, uh, emphasizes the vets. Uh, and he, and when we're a draft and develop team, guess what? Uh, Maurice, we're in the kind of develop phase for our defense. So, like, we he's he's not giving us. I mean, maybe something's happening in practice that we're not seeing. But as somebody that watches every game, I don't have a good read on some of our future prospects at all, especially on the defensive side. I feel like I know who Morrissey Pionk is, uh, and uh, I know plenty about Kulikov. Right. Uh, but. <laughs> Well, the, like, the, the, there's only three of them signed for next year, and that's Morrissey, Pionk, and, and Pullman. Everybody else that's yeah. up right now is is not signed. So it, maybe forget Tucker about the rest. Even Tucker Pullman, who's played a lot this year, like I, I still don't feel like I have a great read on him. But like we certainly don't have any read on Niku uh, wh- whatsoever. We just haven't seen him play enough, and uh, and I think that's the frustrating part at the end of the day. It's like it took like a massive set of injuries for us to be talking about Jansen Harkins being a potential rate everyday NHL player. And that's, that's not the way it should be. Um, there were enough holes in this lineup. Like when you're signing Mark Letestu and Gabriel Bork, there's enough holes in your forward depth for us to figure out who Jansen Harkins is. Um, and that makes me worried about what it means for the future of like guys like Veselainen. And I know Veselainen's not doing great uh, on the moose, but like at some point you just got to see who you got, even if that doesn't mean that person's going to stick there. It at least gives Chevy an opportunity to be like to, to trade the asset for something else. Uh, but when you don't play them at all, you're, you're asking teams to invest in something that has no, that has uh, like no market underneath it. Which is interesting, might tie into uh, a Patan thread here, is uh, when the Jets were out of the playoffs and they wanted to see what they had with their younger guys, including Patan, um, they played Chris Thorburn, who was leaving the team and it didn't really matter, but they they played the, let him, you know, have a nice send off for the last, whatever, two or three games instead of making room for another young guy to kind of see what you have and meaningless games when they're already out of the playoffs, right? This a couple of years ago, obviously. So, uh, yeah, that's... I think we're going to probably get more more of that. 
I will say to whoever on Twitter said that Niku had better hair than Patan, I'm I'm personally uh, offended and I feel attacked by that. I feel like you're questioning Patan's hair yeah. um, to a, to a group that really has invested years in Nick Patan's hair. So exactly. I feel if Nick Patan was in the lineup, uh, the Leafs wouldn't have lost to a Zamboni driver. That's I mean that's all you need to know. I mean, I I can't say there's causation, but there's definitely correlation for right? sure. Hundred percent. As a scientist, you know that. That's. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I will say, for as down as we've been about Chevy, Maurice, like. Oh wait, wait, you know, wait! wait. I, I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> oh, you got more on. No, on no Maurice. I don't. I don't. Uh, sorry, hold on. Before you, you get there, though, just uh, I was going to ask you a question because uh, I, I know you want to wrap yeah. it up, but I'm not going to let you because we're going for another hour here. But uh, <laughs> um, the. Uh, the comments that Blake Wheeler and, and even Maurice has made, uh, I think Wheeler's used it a couple times recently, just about the team being young. Again, I got Cap Friendly pulled up here right now. We got Patrick Liney at 21, and we got Kyle Connor at 23, and Jansen Harkins, uh, Roslovic at 23, Jansen Harkin at 22. That's it for the Fords. Everyone what, like else- Shifley is 26? Uh, yep everyone else is 24 or older so those are the young guys on the defense i know some people still like to call tucker pullman young he's 26 um and (laughs) you just mentioned who is it that said that they wouldn't have players over 29 oh ryan lambert has three more years under the ryan lambert model which i don't think is a terrible model honestly but we got sammy niku who's 23 it's crazy you're saying you don't know enough about a 23 year old i mean he's drafted like, you know, guys come in when they're 18. Uh, on the defense, uh, Kulikov, 29, just going through. T- t- we got 23. Sammy's the youngest, and then a bunch of 24 and older. Both of our goalies are 26. I don't understand this whole young team narrative because they don't seem that young, maybe comparatively, but I know Mike Friesen from the podcast, he had talked about this uh, in the summertime, saying when you take – you know, the crazy outliers of some team that has a 45-year-old Chris Chelios on it or the team that's playing, you know, some guy with a late birthday who's 17. You take out some outliers on, you know, every team, the oldest and the youngest, and then you average all the teams, and then you basically take out the very oldest or the top two oldest teams and the top two youngest teams. We're talking about a couple months difference, like, between the oldest and the youngest teams. It seems really negligible and, like, an almost idiotic argument that people are still using especially with the Jets saying that they're young I mean Liney's in what his third year fourth year he scored 44 goals 36 30 whatever it was and he's 21 and people are gonna be like yeah well you know he's he's, he's young so uh, okay I, <laughs> what I I what only stand, understand the young old thing when it comes to goalies because goalies are weird and so they develop at really different rates so I feel like we're just seeing Hellebuck for who he is uh, in the last couple years. Um, and you, you remember well, the discussions of Hellebuck being a total bust from like three years ago when he was like 22, 23. So I understand it there, but like, uh, you're right. I think you have to not look at their raw age, but look at how many games they've played in the league, because I think that's a better indicator. So like line a, I mean, you can talk about him being a 21 year old and maybe he's 21 in terms of his like, online habits what video games he plays and all that kind of stuff but he's not a a a rookie in this league he is he's played two full seasons he's one of the best scorers in the league you can't talk about him a, any other way yes he's young in the context of he should have like eight nine more years of prime years left in him right. uh, before he starts to decline but he's not young from the 
from the perspective of of how he looks at the league. I feel that way about Connor. Those contracts are great though. Like Cal Connor's 23 and he's signed till he's I think 29 or 30. Morrissey 24, same thing. Like that's exact even Hellebuck, we can say that was an overpay. He's like signed till he's like 31. Yep. Like those are great contracts because you're paying for when those players based on years of service will give you the best return on the money. Yeah. Um, and like Shifley is like that too. Like when he signed his deal, we're getting the best Shifley years at like 6.1. And I, I, he's worth way more than that. Uh, uh, so like some of these contracts are just awesome, but it's the Blake Wheeler contracts where he's 33 and, and then you're paying for his like, 10th 11th 12th year in the league where those games have added up on his body that's when you get into real trouble so i agree i don't see us as that young of a team anymore even though like our average age is probably like 25 26 um because it doesn't like your bottom six don't really add up Uh, like they skew the average all over the place and with our like weird defense this year that like has had everyone and their and, and their brother playing defense for us i think that skewed everything as well um all it takes is signing patty marlowe for like you know a little bit to change the average age of your team that's what i have to say yeah absolutely well even if you look at like the five youngest players i know we weren't necessarily going to talk about this but it's line a it's connor it's Roslevic, it's harkins and Niku, those are the five youngest of the players up with the Jets, not talking prospects that are still with the Moose. I'm like, okay, so which one of those players is really sinking this team? Who's the real problematic guy? The guy scoring 30 goals? The guy that's been, you know, amazing and sort of a revelation this year in, in line A? I mean, Harkins, who's playing, you know, one of the better players up. Jack Rosovic, who's up and down, but still generally, you know, okay. I mean, you can even throw Ehlers in there at at 24. Like, he's definitely not the problem with this team. Yeah. And then the other one was Sammy Niku. So, what, he's the one question mark? Well, like you said, we haven't even seen that much out of him. He's 23 years old. So, I mean, anybody using this team as a young team as any kind of excuse should give their head a shake because that's, I I don't even know what's going on here anymore. Like, that doesn't doesn't check out. I mean, Gabriel Bork's 29 year old leadership uh, should, should, account for something <laughs> and potatoes 29 year old leadership and kulikov's 29 year old leadership it's the, it's the grit they bring to the game don't don't you forget aj it's, all right well, it's about know, grit and grind let's uh let's you know guys. let's just end the podcast right now let's we don't need to go two hours <laughs> grit and grind i, I, don't I was gonna say garbage. the transition i was gonna make is like yeah, even though we're i'm we're being kind of you know in that fan negative spiral to a, a a certain extent about everything that's happening around the deadline and uh, the recent struggles of the team, the coach, the, the GM and all that kind of stuff. You, when you look around at what all the other teams that are competing with the jets for a playoff spot did, they did nothing like Arizona added Taylor hall a couple months ago and didn't make a move. Calgary tried to uh, trade Johnny Goudreau for, a, for a one, but it turned out he just had to pee. Um, so, that like they didn't make any moves. Um, uh, uh, even N- Nashville didn't do anything behind them. Dallas didn't do anything ahead of them. Colorado, like they got Nemestikov, wait, like whatever Nemestikov stinks. Like they didn't do anything either. All the teams around the jets really didn't do anything either. So like, I still think it's a long shot for them to make the playoffs because the schedule gets a lot harder coming down the stretch. But they shouldn't feel like uh, like they're out of it. I still think they got like a, you know, probably a 
30, 40% chance to make the playoffs. Um, yeah. I, I think they just got to uh, actually trust some of the guys they have in there. And by that, I don't mean Boteto. I mean anyone else but Boteto. But like trust the guys to actually play a stronger system um, that four checks a little more, which plays into the, the jet strength. Um, and the real question mark is whether Maurice is going to let them play that way. That seemed like a, a little bit ago that they seemed to ramp it up a little bit. They had a nice little stretch of three or four games where they're putting the pressure on and, and sort of going for it. I'm trying to, I'm looking at the schedule, trying to see if my mind's, I can remember exactly when that was, but there's a stretch of it, but now they kind of, you know, settled, settled back a little bit, but um, I'm going to sound like an idiot because of course I'm not going to find it. Um, but whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, just let's say that I didn't say that at all. Let's just, you know, we'll just edit. We'll edit you this didn't part say it. I didn't. I never said that. I mean, but, we don't do that on this podcast. There's no, no editing anymore. I'm, so yeah, edit nothing. Um, <laughs> we're just actually, we'll just cut out this first hour. Um, oh, okay. So we're just that, starting right now. Yeah. None of that was usable. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was, I was more negative than I actually feel about the prospects of this year's team. Right. I am negative about the future of the jets. Cause I'm really concerned about some things we're seeing. Um, uh, on the flip side, though, and like a friend that's a Jets fan said this to me, is like, think about what the defense could be next year. Um, like, assuming like Spiza, Boteto, Daltrum, like Kulikov, let's say they all go. Right. Uh, you start with, you have Morrissey, Pionk, maybe they re-sign DeMello. Yes. Um, they have Niku somewhere there that might be able to slot in, at least in a bottom pair. They have... Dylan Sandberg that may be able to come up next year. We'll see. And Hanala waiting in the wings. Now, some of those guys are really raw, like Sandberg, Niku, uh, and Hanala. But like, that's not bad a, a year or two from now, if they're able to keep all of those guys in the mix, like they're, they're short, like a defenseman, but from where we were at the beginning of the year, where the, we were the, the joke of the NHL on defense, they could reshape this really quickly and be in a completely different situation with essentially the same forward core and a slightly older Blake Wheeler. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm with you, man. I, that, like the, the defense, all those players that sound great. And then you add Tucker Pullman as a seven in, in that too. Like he's still around and uh, that forward core may not be, or the D core might not be the one that takes you to deep in the playoffs next year. But it kind of feels like if some of those guys pan out uh, with Kovac Savage, you know, in, in the wing there, um, coming up, then you kind of go, yeah, you know what, this it could be good for the future, but it's it all comes down to, I suppose, how they're deployed, if they're used, if they're traded, you know, will they actually get their their chance? Did you mention Pionk in there too? Uh, when you mentioned all the D, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I mentioned, mentioned you know, yeah, is that Morrissey Pionk? But, but then it, on the forward side too, I think there's a so much kind of potential there too. I, I mean, if if Brian Little, you know, obviously for the wrong reasons, getting injured and stuff, but if he were to retire and kind of create a space and uh, I mean, whatever uh, people hate this, but if they could move off of Blake Wheeler in his contract, which I know will not happen, but if, if they could, and you had Harkins starting the team, uh, like starting up with the jets next year. And obviously Appleton, I think he, he is an NHL and he just stays there and you bring a gust of sin right from the beginning and vessel line and right from the beginning. And uh, there's probably one other one that maybe Chibasawa stays around, right. And you just add that youth next year might not be that great, but it'll be probably pretty exciting and fun. And the amount of skill and talent that's overall there probably give you a lot of confidence going forward again, which 
this year going into this year the confidence was quite low right so i'd be really really neat if they could sort of up the confidence level just in the fan base and just a team and like where we could all start looking to the future and, and utilizing a bit more of you know mark shifley's prime right now even though he's not playing at his best which i think you actually did want to talk about but um yeah i think i mean uh, that's he, a, he's just not big... he's just not showing up when when we need him oh, there uh, we go right that's, now that's all we have to say <laughs> that's yeah. it that's it that's all you have to say you had a hat right trick now. you hater what are you talking about <laughs> yeah whatever uh like a uh, game don't lie that's what i have to say about shifley like yes he scored those three goals he if you like watching the game looking at the analytics he hasn't been playing well for the last few weeks and it wasn't about the goal scoring drought over the last like 12 games before he had that hat trick it's it's that he's not driving offense and uh and Murat at, at the athletic really pointed this out a couple weeks ago he's being uh, like a cherry picker on defense he's like floating up towards the line he's not like uh being defensively responsible in the way that you expect your top line center to be yep absolutely <laughs> i can't uh can't disagree with any of that you're right on uh all that ba- like i really hope they make the playoffs because if they make the playoffs uh i mean that's not a like a, a groundbreaking thing to say as a jets fan like i hope they make the playoffs but i I hope they make the playoffs so that we can see how some of these younger guys do in a playoff setting, because you can't beat that kind of experience um, from getting in there. And the one thing that we haven't touched on that is, is sitting right out there is man, the West is a lot of garbage teams right now. Like they're really bad. Like can you imagine like Vancouver winning the Pacific uh, and being like the number two seed, and like if the Jets end up seven playing Vancouver, do you feel like you're scared of the Vancouver Canucks coming to t- like coming to town with Tyler Myers anchoring their defense? Like we know what that is. Uh, yeah. Like I'm not real scared of a lot of those Pacific teams. Like yes, Colorado, yes, St. Louis, uh, uh, yes, Dallas to a certain extent are yes, are better Dallas. teams, but sorry, but. I don't know. I, I'm not terrible. Like if they make it in, they can still make some noise. And uh, I do not feel that way about the East, but I, I feel that way about the West right now. And you mentioned the Pacific. So uh, coming out of there, you, you talked about the Canucks, but is there any teams that scare you? Like do the Vegas, uh, the Vegas? Vegas is the best team in, in that division, especially with what they did today. Now they have the best goalie tandem in the West right. uh, with Flurry and Laner. Uh, if he um, uh, slots in there and, their their uh, forward group is uh, driving possession like no other team outside of Tampa Bay uh, right now. They're they're deadly, and uh, I gotta say, like of all the rinks I went to last year, Vegas was the most hopping. That place is crazy, uh, and so I I don't want to play. I want to avoid Vegas. And the person that I think scares me the most in the league um, is, is Mark Stone. I think he is like he's still somehow underrated. I think that guy is the, is gotta be like one of the top five players in the league. And somehow people aren't talking about him in that way. He's just so incredibly complete. And when it comes to playoffs, like the playoffs are suited for a player uh, with his skill set. So I'm terrified of Vegas, but they just, there's something off about that team. And, and you know, they're coached by Pete DeBoer. So they have one shot at making any noise and then they're going to fall off a cliff in the regular season next year. <laughs> Could you imagine if the Jets played Vegas and Vegas had added Chris Versteeg? 
I mean, that would just be the end of us instantly. We'd, the Jets would just forfeit right away. I don't know how many people caught that reference, but um, yeah. Sure <laughs> That's a pretty deep cut. Yeah, I feel like we'd have to bring back like Stafford and Stepniak if, if that's happening though. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if that's a counterbalancing anything, but no, uh, I just think, it would be I, think hilarious. I think he's playing in Europe, if I'm not mistaken now, for, for what it's worth. But. All right. So I think, I think we've gone along uh, long enough about the deadline, which was kind of ho-hum, but we hope hopefully made, made it uh, a more entertaining Jets deadline uh, this time around. Are there more episodes coming up, AJ? Uh, yeah, there's a couple interviews that uh, I'm supposed to do and some other people are actually doing, but uh, I'm sort of the one organizing it. So I've, no, I won't give anything away because then people will wait. I've done that too many times where I'm like, yeah, this is coming up. And people are like, are you doing that? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll all eventually get done. Don't even let me, don't get me started about work in my life. <laughs> um, well, hey, so, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to just uh, ask for some predictions. So, um, just on a on a couple specific jet things. So, what do you think? What's your prediction? Not what you want, but what do you think is going to happen with Buff? Uh, also, with the playoffs, do you think the Jets actually do make the playoffs? Um, those are two of the ones that they had. I actually have another one written down here, but maybe you answer those first two while I go through. My uh, I'll answer three questions. So, uh, I do. I think Buff isn't playing in the NHL again. I think he's done. I think the Jets miss out on the playoffs by like three to four points. Uh, I think uh, Arizona gets the last spot uh, uh, because Darcy Kemper comes back and they get better goaltending. And I I think Chevy gets fired in the offseason. Whoa, I didn't even ask that question. Yeah, I told you I was going to answer three. (laughs) Okay, hold on, hold on. So what do you think happens with Chevy in the (laughs) offseason? I think he gets fired in the offseason. Whoa. It's <laughs> a professional podcasting at its best. And you you're editing all this, right? Like this is you just reverse the no. votes. No, <laughs> no, this is a fan podcast. There's no editing. Yeah, absolutely, um, that's interesting. Um, no, you know that I, I, I wasn't. I didn't write it down. It was actually about Brian Little. That's what I was going to say. I I uh, I want to be wrong about this, but uh, uh, oh no, no, I, I I changed my mind. I think Little comes back, but I think he ends up with Seattle. Uh, there's some trade pulled that like has him go that way. Interesting. All right. Well, that's good. Um, I want to just be on the record here. When you said Dallas and I cheered, it's because Dallas is my second favorite team. In fact, I tend to cheer for teams inside of the central division. Um, I would love to see the abs, you know, win Dallas, win jets, obviously, or the predators, <laughs> it's just uh, every other team in the league. I don't care about. They can all go screw themselves. But those those four are all in our division for for multiple kind of connections and reasons. But those are who I cheer for. But I actually have Dallas pegged as my Stanley Cup champion. So I just want to be on record saying that. Make fun of me if you like. But when they win, also forget that I said it. So because that's just what's going to happen. I won't get credit for I, it. I think it's Tampa Bay's year, and we're just we're just bracing for the inevitable. Um, uh, there, though, I really want the Maple Leafs to make it in so they can lose to the Bruins. I just, I just need to see that again. Well, um, the, the Leafs are currently in right now, right? It's actually, kind of back to like call back to the very beginning when we talked about uh, everybody panicking about the Leafs losing to a Zamboni driver. First of all, I kind of don't like that people just shit on other jobs, right? Like, oh, he's just a yeah. Zamboni driver. I'm like, yeah, but he's also a goalie guy who's played his whole life. I mean, I've played soccer my whole life, and if you put me in a professional soccer 
game, I would look out of sorts, but I could probably do a couple of things that make me look in sorts, especially if in like a small sample size where I wouldn't look too, too crazy. Now I know some people will be like, yeah, right. You're, you know, X amount of years old that I am, <laughs> but, uh, so, so I wouldn't, but I mean, when I was, you know, still, still doing stuff, but I mean, they're still in the playoff spot. So, uh, again, one game, fun story, but I, I didn't really see the panic in, in leaf fandom. I don't really get those guys. They're fans. They're weird. I just I just want to uh, see chaos happen. So the things I'm rooting for are, are another Leafs Bruin series, uh, and I want to see George Thornton score full four goals and deliver. Yeah, the one he promised. I oh yeah. Do you know that one? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll see. It's who, just chaos. Who, who else catches it? Okay. Well, well let's. I, I want to add another piece of chaos here too. I hope that the Red Wings go on a playoff missing spree as long as they're playoff. Uh, making spree. So whatever, 22, 23 years, I hope they miss. Not because of Manta Red Wings, but just because chaos. I mean, the thing I really want to see is I feel like this is one of the last years we can see a Crosby-Ovechkin matchup. That yeah, you is mean gonna a be... Crosby-Kovalchuk uh, matchup. Oh, Crosby-Malkin-Kovalchuk uh, matchup yeah. with both of them in their primes. Um, there we go. And 71 then, uh, versus 71 or 17 versus 71. Yeah, and I want to see Carolina in there. The brand of hockey they play is really up, upbeat and exciting. They, uh, they're uh, uh, so defensively um, smart about how they transition the puck out of their zone. I want to see that in the playoffs um, and see how that looks against uh, some like really sharp competition. I like a Tampa Bay Carolina series to start off the playoffs would be uh, would be epic. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I hope to uh, be in bed by when most of the Western Conference games get get underway. <laughs> well, I think there's a good chance that you see Carolina get or an okay chance because I don't think Florida gets in. So it looks like uh, the the Metropolitan will probably have five teams coming out of it right now, right? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Blue Jackets, Hurricanes. We'll, we'll come back and do like a real playoff preview. Um, especially when the Jets slot in on that on that seven seed and have to play Vancouver. No, so you're predicting. I, I don't think you're buying in. No, I no, I predicted that they do make the playoffs. I just said as an eight seed. So, <laughs> yeah, and they play St. Louis. Uh, I that was my prediction. I tweeted that out. So, a hold to that. All right, that's enough of our trade deadline edition. I I really am going to end the podcast. You're not going to keep me going for another hour, AJ. Hey, what do you think? Uh, but it was the- fun. Thank, thanks no. for letting me to, um, uh, be on the show and uh, and drive. Hopefully people enjoyed it. And uh, I hope to hear more voices on this podcast because I think that's one of the best parts about uh, Jet Centric is you don't hear from the, the same person over and over again. You hear from a, a, a whole host of voices. They're all angry at, at Paul Maurice. And that's re- really what makes us a Jets, uh, a Jets podcast. <laughs> yeah. And and ranting about uh, the injustices against uh, Nick Patan. Yeah, of course. Um, so remember, subscribe, leave us a review, especially nice ones. Uh, only nice ones, I'll say, uh, because uh, uh, AJ is. Uh, this is the only way he's so, uh, supporting himself right now is from the uh, from from the the joy that comes from your iTunes reviews. So listen, subscribe, share. Uh, And we'll be back soon at some point with some interviews and more Jets talk. I haven't eaten in a year and a half. So that's uh, I'm, I'm three pounds. 
I'm Kurt Kielbach, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.